Hello, and welcome back to the Ripe Labs podcast. I'm Alan Davies, the Ripe Labs editor, and in this episode, my very good colleague, Anastasia Pack, talks to Christian Kaufman about his 12 years on the Ripe NCC executive board and all the changes and challenges he saw during that time. We didn't have 12 years ago a strategic plan. We had a rough idea what we want to do and what the Ripe is and their values, but now these things are defined, they are written down. As the organization was growing, the members also demanded more transparency. Uh, so as a reaction of that, you give them more insight. Instead of just looking at the NCC, you now suddenly potentially have impact on countries and communication in these countries. What would happen if you take IP addresses away, what would that mean for a country which is in civil unrest? Uh, for the people which are living there is not anything you think about when you run for board election. Finding what is our role there and where do we stand? That's a responsibility I guess nobody asked for yeah. or <laughs> thought about when, when they signed up. At Ripe 86 in Rotterdam, I sat down with Christian Kaufman, Vice President Technology at Akamai, and the Ripe NCC Executive Board member who served on the board for 12 years, during four of which he was chairman. This May 2023 general meeting was Christian's last GM as a board member. I spoke with Christian about his time on the board, how the board has changed over time, and what was happening behind the curtains. Here is Christian Kaufman. You have a very long history as a board member, 12 years. 12 years, yeah, 12 years. That's right. How did you actually get involved in the RIPE community and when? I think I got involved in the RIPE community earlier in like 2005, I think was my first RIPE meeting. I worked for internet service providers most of the time in my career. The RIPE conference was something where you go, right, to meet other network operators, learn from them, uh, interact with them, talk. I also was involved in peering. So at this time, uh, if you wanted to talk with one of the peers, uh, you went to a RIPE conference. So that's actually how it started for me. Was it uh, then you decided that, okay, this is something that I want to continue and uh, um, miss the RIPE meeting? Or? <laughs> if you refer to the to the board that actually started a little bit different I was already I already had board experience before I came uh, to the right board I was already on the M6 board the internet exchange in Amsterdam I also was a MAT working group chair then when there was a position open at the or the regular election uh, at the right board I thought hmm actually that might be interesting too I'm coming to the conferences anyway I want to be part of that I'm part of the community and I have board experience so let's give that a try and then I was elected did you have an overlap I had an overlap for a long time I think like six years or so I think I was MAT working group chair for seven years, if I'm not mistaken. And then six years of that, I uh, was actually uh, both. Yeah, and But at the same time, you also had your full-time job on the side. That's true. Oh, That's so true. How did you manage to combine these two important roles in the mm -hmm. RIPE community, your full-time job? A working group is usually not the, the most work, right? It is very intense during the week of the RIPE conference, but uh, during the years, uh, there's usually not too much going on. Uh, so that's fine. For the board, that's true. And especially over time, uh, the workload increased. But I don't know, I think it became a little bit of lifestyle, to be honest. So it becomes part of your hobby, right? It is not something you do in the evening or on the weekend. I was lucky that my day job was flexible enough, so I could shift times a little bit back and forth. The right to see like Fergal and uh, other colleagues were saying that you're a very professional board member. It could be your, uh, because that you did some training on how to be in the board or that, education. That's, that, that's true. I think I was board member already for like five, six years at when I 
uh, figured out that they're actually trainings. So I went to a couple of trainings, also as a chairman, that was actually quite quite helpful, how you lead a session, what the various dynamics, and um, also about your responsibilities you have as a board member. So that helped me a lot. I like that. I think like you're the first uh, board member that uh, I know that uh, did the training on actually that's <laughs> 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 so, so very commendable I would say yeah it was a, we, we talked about it actually in the board and uh, others had interest as well but then I guess it became a little bit of timing question to squeeze it in and in the end it, I was the only one going how was the board like when you started 12 years ago many things were actually quite quite different um, I recall that the board meetings usually were just like half a day now they're more like two days it was more a representative board so you know, we didn't decide to the same level the the world was an easier world we went through the agenda and in an afternoon with a coffee and uh, that was it and then over the time the workload and the complications uh, increased and became a, a more serious endeavor so would you tell it that this is the main the biggest difference between board 12 years ago and now or is there something else that you think has really drastically changed in terms of the way the board operates i think there are two parts one one is uh, really that the, the surroundings um, and you know uh, whatever topic you want to choose from a regulation, GDPR, sanctions. Uh, at the time, we had to find a new uh, CEO, also uh, the war in Ukraine. Um, these are external factors which make it actually way more challenging uh, for the organization and the board. And the response is that your workload increases, right? Everything becomes also more serious. And then this is how it works these days. And that is probably the, the biggest difference. How the board works, one part which has changed is that we are now looking more into strategies, right? We didn't had 12 years ago a strategic plan. We had a rough idea what we want to do and what the ripe is and their values. But now these things are defined, they are written down. We didn't have an activity plan, the various activities the NCC does and the services written down with headcount FTEs and all of that. These things didn't exist 12 years ago. The organization was smaller, but as the organization was growing, the members also demanded more transparency. Uh, so as a reaction of that, you produce also more paperwork uh, and give them more insight, certainly a more professional and bigger environment than it was before. So for this 12 years, the organization grew. Many things have happened. Also sanctions, geopolitical turmoil, the COVID pandemic and also economic fallout afterwards. So yep. you've overseen quite uh, big world changes within, within your time mm -hmm. at the board. Within these challenges... What are the three most challenging moments in your memory during your service in the board? Two are related to external factors, one to an internal one. I, I think one challenging part was when the former CEO stepped down and we had to find a new one because then on top of your regular board work where you now in, we interacted with three interims, you got to manage them, which is more work than one CEO and then at the same time look for a new CEO and train that one. So that certainly was a, a challenging part, also, especially from a time perspective. The other parts were external ones and I think that is something which... I haven't seen before and I was quite surprised about it. If you start at the board, uh, you see it as, and at the NCC, you see it as a probably a technical organization, uh, an organization which organizes resources, IP addresses, the services. But uh, I think we often have an inward look where we take care about our little bubble. And uh, two things were particularly where we had to look to the outside quite a bit and actually see how we fit into the world. One part is the sanctions. And I think it came up uh, first time uh, 
with Iran and Syria, where also with the sanction interpretation, it wasn't in the beginning clear how we react to that and what it actually means for us. And thinking about that instead of just looking at the NCC, you now suddenly potentially have impact on actually countries and com uh, communication in these countries. What would happen if you take IP addresses actually away? What would that mean for a country which is in civil unrest uh, for the people which are living there is not anything you think about when you run for board election, right? So suddenly the responsibility you have in that regard is, is way bigger. Biggest challenge or the biggest stress, if you want, was when the war in Ukraine started. And uh, we got this open letter about uh, freezing or deregistering uh, IP addresses in Russia, where suddenly the fallout of your yeah. actions could be so much bigger than we would ever anticipated. And then also, you know, finding what is our role there and where do we stand? That's a responsibility, I guess, nobody asked for yeah. or <laughs> thought about when, when they signed up. I think we did the right thing for not doing it. And I think people can look it up in in, uh, how we reacted and the answer we gave back. And I'm proud that we mm -hmm. came to that solution. But these are things which are order of magnitude bigger than your board position yeah. usually is. I guess this is probably like the value is to keep people connected. Mm -hmm. And probably that's what uh, drove the board to make the decision. It had multiple facets, uh, but one is certainly that we are neutral, mm -hmm. right? And that we serve uh, communications uh, for all the people. We do not have a political role as in having any opinion about which party is right, wrong or whatever. That is important to, to keep the neutrality which we have, right? If we pick sides or get involved in these things, that's not our role. But uh, this neutrality, I mean, I know this has been a very hot topic around mm -hmm. the discussion that what is actually neutrality, right? And I think in the times like war, it's very difficult to not pick side mm -hmm. because it's also how the media constructs our minds mm -hmm. and picking sides basically was there a lot of actually argument how the, was it very difficult to reach consensus there was a lot of discussion and these are not things which you get affected by them mm -hmm. right uh, you have a personal opinion about it and uh, you might have an emotional opinion about it that's for sure but then you also have a role and the organization has a role right and then it is about the role of the NCC and the services and it's not about my personal opinion I think I think we had a heated discussion, but uh, I think we relatively quickly came to uh, the conclusion what our role is and what we do. And with all these challenges, actually, you still kept being on the board. What kept you motivated to stay there? What was your driving force? Originally, I thought I would stay like six years uh, and then and then leave. I actually don't even recall what the, the big difference was between the uh, second and the third term. After the third term, I actually wanted to, to step down and think this is enough. But then what happened is the former CEO left and uh, we had to find a new one. So I helped to find a new one. Uh, but then with the timing and the overlap, the person basically would have started one and I would have left a month later. So I thought that was also not the best timing, right? You haven't new CEO and a new chairman. And as I have helped to pick the current CEO, I thought it is also just fair that, you know, I do another term, help to get that settled before I move on. Okay, didn't disappoint you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, quite, quite the contrary. If you look for the parts where, where I'm very happy with the decisions we made or how things turned out, I'm very happy with the CEO we found and have. Before this podcast, we had a conversation and you also mentioned that you really enjoy being part of the transformation process mm -hmm. and that you actually actually um, were behind many changes in the way the board operates. So there were probably moments also in your history of the board that you find most memorable, but like, let's now focus more on positive things and some of the highlights. Uh, can you remember one or two? 
from your memory. Hans Peter was certainly uh, <laughs> one of them. Another one is um, is probably I'm very happy how it turned out with the new chair with Andre. We had a handover like six seven months ago or so. There wasn't any disruption to to the board or how we work. So I was very happy that it wasn't just depending on me and you know that the whole ship sails and continues without me. That is a point which makes me quite happy. It's a bit more now about the community mm -hmm. that we serve and we mostly hear the voices of the community members that are a few, mm -hmm. but they're very active on the mailing list. Mm -hmm. They certainly come to the right meetings, but what the board serves is the 20,000 membership. And how as a board you ensure that the voices of those who don't speak up are mm -hmm. heard and being taken into account. This is certainly a, um, a challenge, but I think we were becoming actually quite good over the years. There are various ways how we get input. The mailing list is one of them, but uh, as you say, there are, depending on the topic, 10, 50 people uh, which are not representative for, for the 50. But on one side, they are often representative for a camp or, you know, a fraction of the membership or a business model or uh, something like that. So you already get a little bit an idea of the various camps which are arguing. But we are not just getting feedback from the mailing lists uh, when we have conferences like that. Uh, ripe week this week, uh, we get a lot of input from people. You get a lot of professional and structured input via the survey. Ripe uh, conducts a survey every couple of years, and I think one is coming up this year. I think we had an outcome of like roughly 4,000 last time. So 4,000 out of 20,000 is already, you know, statistically quite a significant one. And then I guess we have an idea of when we also go to regional meetings, uh, what the particular country or geographic area has as a challenge and what they believe. And then you try to mix and balance all of these different things together. And then I guess you have an idea what the membership as such wants. The bigger problem is probably to actually bring that all under one roof because uh, the diversity and um, the interests of the members are so far that it is not one common thing, right? It is all over the spectrum. And that's probably the, the bigger challenge than actually just understanding what they want. Yeah, the RIPE region is very, very diverse. And it's uh, Central Asia, Europe, Middle East. It's such a different landscape and politically, economically. And yep. I guess uh, this is something very difficult. But well, yesterday in your presentation, actually, it sounded like you were trying to convince uh, people stay away from elected <laughs> to the board. I was like, Do you, was this the point <laughs> of your presentation? Uh, it's funny, a couple of people made that comment because in the presentation yesterday I talked about the time commitment and how much work it was for me. No, the idea was not to uh, scare people away. But uh, to be honest, you also want to have candidates which have an idea what they get themselves into. Uh, we make in the job description, which is published, uh, we mention a couple of uh, days, I think 20 days or something like that mm -hmm. a year. But you never know what it means in emails or uh, meetings or stuff like that. So I thought giving a little bit of an overview is good that people know what they sign up for. And also they should be loving to read, right? Uh, you said. Uh, that is true. Let, let us see if I uh, recall the number, but I think we had like in the last 12 years, 1,245 yeah. documents to read. But apart from being a very keen reader, what are the other qualities that in your opinion, a board member should possess? 
On one side, you should understand the ecosystem uh, and, you know, probably some technical background is, is helpful. But I, I don't think you have to be a, a technical person per se. If at all, we have probably more technical people on the board than we have managerial people or finance or legal or so. The topics I talked about, the challenges, they had nothing to do with IP numbers. So to represent the uh, NCC and actually guide it, being a more well-rounded character is probably helpful. For a chairman, I think chairmen have changed in general in boards. I think we had more chairmen which were leaders or had a, a vision and were probably pushing more like the managerial type. What I see in boards these days is more the moderator, including everyone, see that everyone is heard and then actually reaching a consensus out of that. So from a chairman, I think not having too much of an ego and being a moderator is a good thing. So from your experience, so who are the best uh, board members? I mean, not by person, but like, what is the social portrait of a, of a person? Because you were mentioning before that uh, it should be someone who doesn't maybe want this power. The, the, yeah. It's probably even more important for the chairman, but um, if you have too much of an interest in power or your very strong ego, then the whole collaborate, uh, collaboration part in the board gets more difficult. You cannot, as an individual board member, push a particular agenda, right? You have mm -hmm. to talk with all of them, kind of find a consensus. So the more you're actually driving an agenda, the harder it is to collaborate with the others. But then I think it brings me a bit uh, to the question of the interests. I think many people have this understanding, not about the RIPE NCC executive board, but just generally for the boards. Like if this, this person serves in the board, it means they want to try to push their agenda and mm -hmm. their interest, etc. And this is also, it's about trust, right? Mm -hmm. Like how do you make sure the people you serve have trust in the board and they don't think that, okay, this is just a person from this big company and they just want the, their company's interest to be represented and mm -hmm. that's the reason why mm -hmm. they're there. I think we have very few cases where people driving agendas, either from a company or, or their background. And to be honest, if that happens, the rest of the board and the chairman usually calls it out. I don't see that too much as a, as a problem in general. At the moment where you enter the board, you're responsible for the NCC and you are liable from a personal point. So your background and your company have nothing to do with that. So usually people don't drive agendas too much or, or try it. From a, the power part, is interesting because I, I find that a little bit of misconception, to be honest. People believe board members have power. I would say an individual board member barely has any power at all because just as a collective and especially, you know, when we have a consensus what we want to do and then instruct the CEO and the organization, of course, there's power there. But just as a collective, as an individual one, uh, you cannot command anyone. You cannot go and make anyone do your stuff. Uh, just as a collective, it works. So I didn't feel so powerful. So you men mentioned that maybe managerial skills are even more important technical skills for the mm -hmm. board member to possess. And we discussed that before, like, let's say if the board needs to take a decision about some technical project, mm -hmm. like, and if they do not possess enough knowledge about the concept, about what's going on, how do you normally make decisions and how you make sure that this is the decision that is right? These are like two or three questions yeah. in one. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> let, let me try to unwrap yeah. it. We do not instruct 
or micromanage on a particular per project level anyway, right? What we set as a, as a guidance and we have a look at the activity plan and you can choose uh, any particular topic, like let's say RIPE Atlas probably was a good one. We didn't say how the RIPE Atlas probes look like, how the code looks like or any of these things. Uh, we had a vision that we want to have a measurement network, but how the NCC executes it, that they basically, which hardware they have chosen, how they have programmed it, all of these things came from the NCC, right? So we don't micromanage mm -hmm. projects. So even if you are now a technical person and understand the RIPE Atlas uh, to the same degree as an employee, you wouldn't have interfered or done anything with that knowledge. The managerial part comes from that aspect that we don't look into the database or any particular technical parts. We basically, you know, look at numbers. These are the finance numbers. We have an opinion about the FTEs or, you know, the, the cost per membership, these kind of stuff. But for that, it is good if you can read a balance sheet. Uh, for that, it is good if you probably have managed persons so you understand how an organization works, how you make goals for the CEO um, and the organization, understand how you measure them and how you get them back. If you're an individual contributor, you can learn that, but uh, if all of them are individual contributors in the board and nobody has managerial background, then it is harder to actually manage the NCC probably. So from that perspective, having an idea of management, some basics, balance sheets, all of that is very helpful. Yeah, to basically make the right decision in the right time. Yeah. And uh, I guess it was the RIPE Atlas, it was probably a very good decision because look, now it's uh, 11,000 probes, I think. Uh, copy, I, I, I lost yeah. track. But um, so, it's, it's also actually coming back yeah. on, on the RIPE Atlas for a second. We were very happy to build it and have it. But then the question was, to which degree should we actually continue further expansion? And uh, in that case, we found an elegant way with the sponsoring, right? So now external companies can uh, sponsor probes, so the costs are not on the members anymore yeah. we operate it and we run it and it has many benefits but we actually kept the costs and got that under control we talked about uh, the qualities uh, the members should possess we talked about the chair what will be your advice to the future board except the part that you need to be ready for many many hours <laughs> of reading I'm not sure if I, I have too many advices. I actually like where the where the board stands right now and people are very dedicated, knowledgeable about the various sets of topics and uh, challenges and that's why I also think I'm leaving it actually in a, in a good place. So I think if they continue like that and having an open mind and balancing the various interests, you're responsible for staff, for the organization, you have a role in the ecosystem um, and to a degree in the uh, multi-stakeholder model. So if you balance these things right and position yourself correctly, then I think they should be fine. Well, enough about the board. <laughs> <laughs> Yesterday was uh, your last uh, general meeting uh, as the board member. What's next for Christian Kaufman? I'm looking actually forward to sit in sessions again. I missed a lot of good content in the last <laughs> uh, 12 years because it overlapped with meetings or other parts. So I'm, I want to focus on that one when I'm back at the RIPE meeting next time. Otherwise, I just joined the ICANN board. So it's not that I gave up on boards or internet governance or any community work at all quite the contrary if at all it is more work continuing to be a professional <sighs> board member uh, yeah. yeah and i'm the representative for the aso so that means for the numbers organizations mm -hmm. i'm the representative on the icon board so whenever people want to know about icon have an opinion or want to be in contact i'm still there yeah. just in a different function so you will still be in the bubble as you call yep. there <laughs> i will be 
the last last question because I think we covered quite many topics and it sounds like a very interesting conversation. It was really nice for me to understand also a bit what is beyond this uh, minute <laughs> that we read uh, on the ripe.net. And uh, I'm new, so I don't know the context, but your aloha seems to be very famous. And uh, I want to know what is the history of aloha. The aloha comes actually from my day job. I work for an American company called Akamai, which is in Hawaiian name and the logo of Akamai is also the wave. So uh, a while ago I started to uh, start my emails with Aloha, the Hawaiian greetings. So that's well, the background. So maybe then in 10 years Christian Kaufman is somewhere in Hawaii drinking <laughs> uh, his coconut. <laughs> uh, I would love that. <laughs> well, thank you very much Christian for joining us again uh, and it was a very nice conversation. Thanks a lot for having me. That's our episode and I really hope you enjoyed listening. As always, you can find links to articles and other sources on all the topics that Anastasia and Christian talked about down in the show notes. Join us again next time when we'll be talking about the way that geopolitical relationships both shape and continue to be shaped by the structure of the internet.